Hey, welcome to California Haunts Radio. It's been a wild night already. We lost the server to StreamYard once already, so hopefully we get to keep the server to StreamYard tonight. We'll see. Um, and I'm looking at my internet hasn't kicked in yet. Well, either, so I'm on my regular home internet without the extender. So that'll be interesting to see how the night goes. My name is Charlotte, and I'll be your host, hopefully for the next hour, assuming nothing, nothing can go wrong, right? And... Uh, you can find my team. I, I own the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation team at www.californiahaunts.org. And Stan is trying, my guest is logging in a few minutes here, so I'm just going to talk for a bit. Uh, that's www.californiahaunts.org. We are 45 strong, 30, yeah, 45 strong up and down the state of California, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and parts of Hawaii. So if you need some paranormal stuff, some paranormal investigating done, Feel free to give us a ring via email. Give us a call. Give us a ring via email, and we will send out a team out to help you at no charge because we don't charge for what we do. Anyway, welcome tonight. It is 90 degrees tonight, so it's not as bad as it's been. It's been up in the hundreds the past couple weeks here and there. A lot of fires going on. I know I'm, I'm going to give a shout-out to my friends in Nevada County and up in Plumas County and here in California because they, there's the uh, mandatory evacuation orders put out, so I hope you guys... Uh, find your way out in Plaster County too. Thank you, uh, Plaster County. You know I want to make sure you guys find find your way out safely and that you can get back to your home safely after after you get to go back. Um, we are the Calif again we're the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. This is our radio show that we like to put on and bring on some really cool guests for you guys to speak to. And uh, we don't uh, like I said we we don't take money for our investigations, so it's pretty much. A freebie, so if you can find it in your heart to donate to us to help us keep this radio show on, hang on, I'm, I'm going to be answering email here for a second. So see what we got here. Okay. All right, hang on a second. Oh, there he is. He made it. I know, I had fresh too. Let me bring him in. Without further ado, let's see if we can let him get settled a little bit. Okay, anyway, so uh, we've got a great guest on. Stan Deo is on with us. And Stan Deo uh, has said that he has found Atlantis and the Garden of Eden. And I'm really curious about that. Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of theories about Atlantis and where it's at and stuff. And I just want to hear what he has to say. And I think you do, too. Let me bring him in. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good. I hear I see you crashed, too, today. Yeah, I did a stream. Yeah, I don't know what it was. Three times in a row it crashed when I tried to log into the... To the side there. Yeah, StreamYard's been having issues, so I don't know if they're over overloaded or what's going on today. I don't know. I don't well, it's know. good. It's good to see you. Good to see you. And I have been really curious about you, and and and, 
your background is absolutely impressive. Well, thank you, Charlotte. It's just life. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell everybody your background a little bit before before we get into all this? Oh well, um, yeah, I guess um, I've gosh, um, I was a cadet at the Air Force Academy uh, here in Colorado. Um, the um, I worked for Dr. Edward Teller's group down in Australia, working on anti gravity and advanced spacecraft and, and uh, aircraft. Um, I've produced. Uh, a number of documentaries for television on Nikola Tesla and uh, the UFO situation in Australia. Um, probably done quite a bit of radio and, and uh, shows like this, probably several hundred now. And uh, let's see, written a couple of books, The Cosmic Conspiracy and The uh, Vindicator Scrolls, and then a couple of technical papers on uh, the physical nature of electricity and gravity. Um, did a compiled a, a, a historical look at uh, Townsend Brown's work in France in the uh, French laboratories making the flying disks. Um, just trying to think what else I need to tell you. I, yeah, I, I forget. Um, oh, some people call me Indiana Deo because I spent time over in Israel in, in a cave down near the Qumran and uh, uh, it was a cave that housed some some uh, incense that was in the uh, second temple sorry was it, yeah second temple period for israel wow. i was working with the real indiana jones uh, dr Vendel jones um went to africa here a couple years back to tanzania to uh, hike up uh, ten thousand foot up a, a, a hill in uh, in tanzania there in the ngoro plateau to look at where this anomaly was we found on Google Earth, and it was a 20 acre wide, uh, you know, or a circular area of water that came up from somewhere. And uh, when we found that, we also found the Garden of Eden down below uh, at the crater that uh, was underneath that. So um, I guess you've looked at my bio, uh, I hope. Anyway. I know, that's why I wanted, I, wanted, I wanted you to tell it. <laughs> oh, all right. So well, is, is there anything I forgot to mention that you wanted to say? I don't think so. Okay. But All you've right. done so much, it's absolutely impressive. Well, you know, I guess it is when you look back on it, but, you know, I don't do that very often because I'm busy doing stuff. <laughs> We've got several projects going around the place at the moment. Tell me about Atlantis, because you say you found Atlantis. Yeah. Charlotte, this is incredible. I found not only the Garden of Eden, but Atlantis, which Let's was prior this. to... I'm curious. I want to hear this. Okay. Well, um... I found the Garden of Eden first, but then finding Atlantis was more difficult because we were following directions from Plato's writings um, in, in the Critias and Timaeus debates. And so I looked at it and I thought, why have all these other guys, you know, and girls, whatever, tons of people have said they've found Atlantis, it's in the Atlantic Ocean, or it's here, it's there, the Chinese even got it there, the Mormons have got it in Utah somewhere. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. Let's re-look at every clue about where it was located and to do that, let's put the Earth back together, lower diameter than it was before the Great Flood, and put the continents back together for, you know, for um, when all the continents were together before they split. And I, I did that, and uh, I saw in in, in Plato's uh, discourse there. He said, and if you go to the to the west, you see the pillars of Hercules, and it, Atlantis was through the Pillars of Hercules. Well, we all thought that meant the Pacific Ocean because if you go west of Greece, that's the Pacific Ocean. I'm uh, sorry, the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, 
Right. Um, yeah, and, and people have said, well, it's called the Atlantic Ocean because it used to be Atlantis. Well, I thought, okay, we've had in the historical records for the Chinese and the Egyptians two times when the sun rose in the west instead of the east. So how does the sun rise on the other side of the planet unless the planet's upside down? And what would make an entire planet go upside down? The amount of impact required for something to move the whole earth upside down was just enormous. It would have extincted all life. So I thought, well, there's gotta be some answer to this. Started looking at the geological records, recent papers on the earth and the layers of the crust. And they found a whole layer of kind of soft rock. It was like a ball bearing, if you wish, for the crust of the earth, thin crust. And the amount of energy to move that crust is much less than flipping the planet. So I started looking then for impacts of comets, big comets and asteroids, and I found them. I found five that have not, well, one of them's been officially recognized off the south tip of Argentina. The same kind of footprint is up in the Northern uh, hemisphere and uh, near New Guinea. In fact, uh, New Guinea sits on the edge of where that, that large impact stopped. And it was a thing that caused, you know, the great flood and, and just, you know, broke up uh, Atlantis and all that. So I thought, well, all right, let's flip the, the, the surface of the earth, the crust upside down. And we're now in Greece and it's in the direction of the sun's rising, which is to our east now. So I thought, what's east of Greece? Turkey. Okay. So then I got on Google Earth and I started creating a, 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 like a, a plane of blue that I could drop down to, to tell the altitude. And mm -hmm. I wanted to see where the water was and if it covered that area at the port of what used to be called Antioch, if there was a way that Greece could go from the Mediterranean Sea straight up into, uh, you know, uh, what's kind of Saudi Arabia, Iran, that kind of area into the Persian Gulf. And lo and behold, I found it. And I was able to just take a boat like a similar, uh, you know, a digital boat and go in between these two land masses that form a gateway uh, right through Antioch up into, you know, the Middle East. And it went all the way up to the top of the Persian Gulf, uh, the Arab Gulf of, I think they call it the Arab Gulf now. And it went straight down and into uh, the Indian Ocean. So then I thought, all right, well, now we've located the gates of, of the Pillars of Hercules. And I thought, well, okay, if you look uh, in the Middle East, all along the, the coast or the Levant, they call it there, the, the west coast of the land that goes down to Israel, you'll see that they that they had cities the greeks went in there and put at least 10 maybe more cities that were put up for their gods one of them being hercules and i thought heracles hercules okay the pillars of hercules if they're in turkey that's why they went over to israel that area northern israel and formed these decapolis cities all the way over in across the the jordan river and i started finding these clues left right and center you know the legends and stuff of giants that they had in the greek myths I'm on the track of something here. So now then, let's look at how they describe the size and the location of Atlantis. And uh, in the translation, in, in uh, Jared's uh, translation of the Greek there, they said that the uh, it, that Atlantis was an extent greater than Asia Minor and uh, and um, not Egypt, but the, to the left of Egypt. Um, I forget what it's called now, but anyway, it's it still got the same name today. And so I thought, okay, they didn't have satellites. They didn't have planes. So they're talking about extent of coastlines. So I measured the coastline from, um, well, ah, it's not, what's the name of that country? Right next to Egypt on the left there. 
anyway, I, I, I made a map and I put the coastline and measured it all the way th from there and over in the coastline of Asia Minor. And, uh, and that took some doing to get the actual location of Asia Minor, but, um, and where the Greeks would have been able to go by boat and measure it. And then I started looking, okay, it's between these two. Oh, where, what's between Asia Minor and this other country east of Egypt or west of Egypt? And it's Saudi Arabia. I thought, well, it's not a, it's not an island or a continent. It's joined to, uh, you know, Asia or to, well, to Eastern or Western Asia, up close to Turkey. I thought there's no, there's no water flowing from the Persian Gulf Strait in the Mediterranean. Then that's when I looked at that map and put that blue layer down. And I could see that it used to be surrounded by water on the Egyptian side through the Suez, what's now the Suez Canal, and over in Egypt through the Antioch port uh, going up inland. All right, so having that information, I started to uh, look at other clues uh, in geology. Did Saudi Arabia actually um, separate, was it separated from, uh, you know, from Turkey and Asia Minor, and did it gradually go over there from some impact or whatever? And to my uh, you know, astonishment, I found, yes, they say that used to be a continent. You know, the geology record says it was separated from Egypt, it was separated from Turkey. Wow. And uh, so, you know, that was exciting. And then I found that same report. By the way, the Mediterranean side of the Saudi uh, Arabian continent had raised up over 1,600 feet at some point in the past. Wow. wow. <laughs> so I lowered it back down and I put the waterways in and, and I had... Uh, the Saudi continent, you know, which includes Yemen, Oman, all those, that was Atlantis. So I thought, right, now we got to prove the other things about these grooves that they cut from the mountains where the trees were in Atlantis down into the area of the, of the Great Flat Plain. And that's in the Fertile Crescent today. And that's where they, they grew stuff. And I found the grooves. And you, you can look at it in the reports I've got on, on Atlantis on the, the video online. Did you see that, by the way? I uh, did. Okay, so you saw what I was telling all these points. Yes. And, you know, since then, since I did that, that video, I've been looking at other factors uh, in uh, Hebrew history and in the Saudi uh, legends with the, uh, oh, the, not the uh, sheikhs, but the, uh, the people, the, um, oh, the, the Bedouins. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, T.H. Uh, Lewis went over there, I mean, to, uh, and other people and investigated the, the, old civilization that used to be in covering Saudi Arabia. Now, the Bedouins, um, they said that there, these 1,500 some odd uh, artifacts I found you know, with Google Earth, they're black stone, you know, lava stone formations that are, look like a keyhole. And there were some others that were varying descriptions, but there was one set of them I found in, in a, a spot in the northwest part of Saudi Arabia, uh, over close to Jordan. And it had a fence around it. They, they've done a fence around it. It's a sacred place. And there were two symbols there, like grave symbols. And you can see them by air. One of them was a keyhole. And the other one was um, like a keyhole, but with, um, oh, let's see, that was the minute. With, with the, the center part, anyway, the, the round part. And it was like, a guy and his wife were buried there, Poseidon and his wife, Cleato. They, they, it's the only big set pair like that set, set off by rocks and, and, and geology there. And so somewhere along the line, somebody must have realized that's who they were. Maybe it was thousands of years ago. Right. But that has survived the great rushing floods of water from that impact in the Indian Ocean that, that tilted 
the what's now the uh, eastern side of Saudi Arabia tilted it down and up on the other end of the Mediterranean 1650 feet so it all starts to fit together now the great flood of noise what destroyed Atlantis that impact created huge amounts of steam that went up into the atmosphere and for the first time clouds formed and you had rain and Noah was probably a citizen of Atlantis get that that makes sense makes yeah well, sense. Hey, well, anyway, look, I'm nat naturally on here, but uh, just no, no, in. no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, really. Um, and and then you look in the biblical records of uh, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and then 40 years wandering in the desert, and then they get into the promised land. And what do they find? They're giants. And so God tells them, go to this village, that village, and so forth that have you know giants and kill everything there animals, people, everything wipe it to the ground, burn it out, get rid of that gene pool, in other words. They were hybrids between the daughters of Adam and Eve and the fallen ones that came from the sky. Um, um, there's just so many stories in various cultures about beings from up there coming down to Earth. Poseidon and Atlantis was one of at least 12 and maybe more beings that came down and, and you know, staked out parts of the Earth for their claim. I mean, in Central America, South America, the ancient legends of you know, Quetzalcoatl and, and others that came with high technology tell you that there were others other than Poseidon. We know about Poseidon because of the Egyptian records on the Stelas and what they what they gave to um, uh, Plato and, uh, well, to his grandfather anyway, and he passed that on to him. Um, I, I just, you know, the giants, we, there's also records of the Zamzalim and the, and the uh, uh, the king of Bashan, which is up in the Golan Heights, now covered with a lot of lava from 13 volcanoes. But the king of, of, of uh, Bashan was named Og, and his bed was 18 feet long. He wasn't a little guy unless he liked to dance in bed. I don't know. But, you know, he was a big fella. And there have been reports of giants, you know, and, and weird beings with one eye, you know, you know, like Cyclops and stuff like that. And then as I moved out into the Mediterranean looking for other, you know, reports of giants and, and, and ancient stone technology and builders, I found out that the Catholic Church has come in over the, the, the recent centuries. Whenever someone found giant bones, they built a church over the top of it and buried it. You know, why? I mean, and it, they're trying to hide our history with these beings, I think. And, and uh, unfortunately, they're gonna have to admit it today. The, the things are coming to light now with the the quote-unquote alien presence that we're going to have to address this well, issue. You know, it makes me wonder because, you know, there's a story about the guys that were rafting in Arizona down what the Colorado River it was, the Snake River. Yeah. And they looked up and saw the, you know, and saw the cave and they went in there and, and there were uh, bones from the giants. Then when they turned them over to the, the, the Smithsonian Institute, they disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. You got to wonder, why is, why, why is this being done? Clint Walker, who uh, used to be a, uh, Cheyenne Bodie uh, on uh, TV. Uh, Clint um, called me up when he was writing a book before he died about the, the caves down in the Grand Canyon, you know, mm -hmm. where they had advanced technology and statues of beings in a, in a cave that's very hard to get to. Um, sadly, he didn't get to finish his book before he died, but um, there have been a number of people that have, that have said the same thing about this destroying evidence. Now, why would you, why would you do that if you were if you were the aliens, let's say, mm -hmm. the giants, why would you not want us to know about that now? Mm -hmm. what, what reason would you have? If you were our, our religious leaders, why wouldn't you let people know that? Mm -hmm. See, this is the questions I ask. I'm, I'm a very curious kid and I, I, you know, I look for answers. And right. uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, Charlotte, when I started announcing this stuff, the, first the discovery of Garden of Eden, which led to Atlantis and stuff like that, um, I sent it to the major news networks, the data, you know, the lecture and stuff. And I was thinking, boy, you know, everybody's going to get excited about this. Not a peep. No one was interested in any way. So I pressed on, you know, over the years here and Discovery Channel called me with one of their producing teams and said, look, we'd like to, you know, do a, a documentary on this. I said, well, that's fine. So we negotiated for a few weeks. They sent me a contract and I started reading the contract. And in the fine print, it said, if we take this and do it, you can no longer show your videos. You can no longer talk about it because it'll be property of the Discovery Channel. And so as much as I wanted to get it out, I said, no, thanks, guys. I'm sorry. You know, it's got to be for everybody. We've got to be able to talk about it. And well, I don't know about those newspapers and stuff you were talking about because I worked at a um, smaller, I was the editor of a smaller paper and a couple online you know, publications. If it had come to me, I'd have gone for it and talked well, about it. Go for it now if you got the effort. I mean, you've got the, the equipment and the resources to do it because I really think that no matter whether you're Christian, you know, Hebrew, you know, whatever, that the legends all point back to a creation point for man. When I talked to the natives in Tanzania there, you know, the, the Maasai and the Datoga tribe who were there for several thousand years guarding the garden. When I talked to them, they talk, I said, what formed this, uh, you know, this garden crater here and that water? You know, oh, God came down from the heaven into this crater and he created man, put him out and then went back up into the heavens. Now, this isn't Bible talk. This is native talk mm -hmm. uh, with translators, of course. But um, and I just I, the legends all point there. Everybody on Earth, no matter what religion or country that they are, should be keenly interested in this because it talks about, OK, a being from up there coming down here. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know, on a camel or a horse. That's on something magical. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Well, even look at Ezekiel and his report of the, of the wheel in the sky. Yeah, yeah. Wheel within a wheel. And, well, you know, part of my physics studies have, have led me to understand that our universe is a like a virtual universe inside of a bigger universe, right? And that the legends of talking about the flaming chariots coming into the heavens up there and right. then descending... And going in not only on the biblical stuff, but over into the Sumerian records uh, about, um, you know, these beings, the gods, coming down to Earth. And they, they built ziggurats for them uh, in, the, in the Persian Gulf, you know, the Fertile Crescent region there where all these are or were. They built these stone ziggurats with multi-stories to it so that the gods could come down and land on the top and spend an hour or two letting their, their brightness, their energy dissipate and then go down to the next level and dissipate a bit more in the next level, finally walk down and be able to touch people without killing them. And Jesus even told Mary in the garden when he had risen, he said, look, don't touch me. I've not yet risen. You're going up, you know, and there's just so many clues about this parallel universe, and the energy differences. Did we just say, I mean, I mean, without irritating all, all, all the religions, because I'm Catholic, you know, I can admit it, that a lot of the gods, especially the Greek gods, were aliens. They were probably... Well, some of them might have been, yes. Yeah. But there were there were some of them that I think were children, you know, chimeras between human DNA and these off-worlders. Sure. I mean, you know, the, the Cyclops, bit, the um, Hercules having such incredible strength. Um, oh, yeah. And while I was research, researching that, I found another weird thing about that Fertile Crescent. Every cow on Earth, every cow, 
can trace its lineage back to the Fertile Crescent. Wow. The Atlanteans worshipped the cow, the bull. Right. In that spot. And so that's where they created cows, I guess, you know, or, you know, various forms of it, the longer horns, but, oh, gosh. Well, what a lot of people don't realize either, if you take, if, if you take a globe, like you were talking about, you take the globe, you cut out the, you cut out all, all the continents very carefully. Yeah. You can glue them back together. And it's one mass, massive thing. It's really cool. I've done it. It is. And you have to, um, you have to change the diameter of the earth by 25%, crease, you know, shrink it down so that those curves will fit and then we'll have an orange mm -hmm. segment to, in between them. There's so many of us that they're trying to tell people, look, the earth expands, Mars expanded, the moon expanded before it cooled. You can see the stretch marks everywhere. And uh, mainstream science, I even had one professor at West Australian University, a physicist, when I was discussing these things with him. He says, you can't say that. And he threw chalk at me on the, on the blackboard and everything. And, you know, this is the kind of nonsense you're dealing with, trying to help the human race pull up to the next level. What resistance? I mean, have you talked to anybody in mainstream science about your uh, your thoughts about Atlantis? Yeah, I did it carefully with two professors, uh, geology professors over at the northwest part of Australia at the uh, Australian University. They were digging down core samples and finding the evidence of a huge asteroid that hit somewhere out there and let all these little glass tectites and whatever left them in the formation. And I said, I can tell you where it is and why. And I did it carefully because you, you mentioned Atlantis. They kind of go, <laughs> eyes glaze over and they're busy doing something else. But they did listen, one of them in particular. And I said, look over at India on the east coast of it at the Kutapa region. There is an impact crater 15 miles in diameter just offshore underwater there. And uh, that would have, you know, split, you know, it would have shoved India up there. It would have kicked Australia down to where it is. It would have broken up, you know, what is now Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And it would have come to rest in the Banda Sea. And they looked at it and they thought, and they said, no, no, look, we, they did this over several weeks. They said, no, look, the the age of the rocks in the Kutapa region and what we've got, you know, they're in wrong time zones and can't be. I don't know why they're in the wrong time zones, but that's where it hit. I mean, anybody with an open mind looking at Google Earth over the Indian Ocean can see where something huge dug out, you know, what is now the Indian Ocean just smashed a hole in there and shoved all that stuff over under New Guinea. You can see it in the NASA maps for mascons on the planet. That's the only place we've had scooped out, shoved up, and broken up all that area. Anyway, I in fact, one of the, I did one of the shows. I was talking about it there a couple of years back, and um, I got this uh, uh, like contact on. It wasn't LinkedIn. It was like message me or something from a guy on his laptop, and and I and he said, "Look, I'm a oil engineer and." Uh, I know that what you're talking about, uh, the, the backwash of that asteroid covered Oman and uh, Yemen and all that with two miles of, you know, seabed and awful. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, okay, I said, where, where are you located? He said, I'm in the middle of Mongolian desert. I'm exploring some stuff. I'm on my laptop at the moment. I just want to call and tell you that we're really glad you found that asteroid. So we're getting recognition slowly. And uh, yeah. it's the truth. I mean, anyway, I, I'm, I'm big about using the facts, you know, and not trying to make it fit my, my model. I'd look at the facts and right. I can guarantee you that that was Atlantis. There's no question about it. And the garden of Eden was in the Agoro plateau. There's no question about it. it now, how did you, how did you find the garden of Eden? Then? 
Well, that was harder, actually. Um, first of all, I had to, to shrink the diameter of the Earth 25%, put all the, the continents back together again. And I found that the continents were separated by large rivers. Yeah, and uh, I traced them back from the Persian Gulf, back along the southern coast of Saudi Arabia, up into what's called the, the Gulf of Aden, Eden, Aden. Mm -hmm. And um, then I traced it in in from that, that uh, well, it's a tentacle plane, is what it's called there at the Eden Gulf. And I thought, well, this has got to be where all the rivers came from because three of them, uh, you know, tie into there. And then I, when I wrote my book in 1989, The Vindicator Scrolls, I said the Garden of Eden had to be there because that's where these three rivers led. I couldn't find the fourth river, though. So a couple of years went by and we had digital maps, you know, uh, Google Earth, that kind of stuff. And I contacted the, um, oh, um, the Institute, the Scripps Institute in California. Uh, you are probably familiar with it. And I said, look, you've got any really detailed, you know, topography maps uh, and, and bathymetry in the area. They said, we have just finished a huge new database. We haven't even get it to Google yet, but you can try it for us. Oh, wow. I was over the moon. And I got in there and I started seeing that, hey, there's a, a great river that was feeding the Danico Plains, where these three rivers came from. So I traced back up and it's the great East African Rift. And I did mile by mile. I covered millions of miles, believe me, over the, the months that followed, tracing every river. And they all came up to a point up in Tanzania, and it was it was a crater. It was a, a crater that still it was a collapsed crater. They had a, the, the the walls still up, and I thought, what is in that place? It looks like it's barren and forsaken. And so I got into the Google, you know, the maps and things, and I found out they call this Africa's Garden of Eden. What? Then I started investigating, and, and the the fig trees are there, and. Uh, you know the animals and the the lions and the and the gazelles and stuff. They they sleep in the same paddocks together in that hundred square miles of that crater. And so I said, well, where's the fourth river? Then I found out where they came from up in a spot up in the the top of the Goro Plateau, and you can see today where the grooves were cut. I showed you that in the video, mm -hmm. the, the huge amounts of water that came down. But there was a fourth river that went backwards from those, and it went down around. Um, what is now uh, Madagascar, it's separated from Africa, but that used to be connected. And that was gold. That was where the gold was, they said, in, in the uh, Solomon discourses on it. And I found that it produces the richest gold on the planet there in, in the mountains of Madagascar. And they washed down into the sands. And to this day, the Chinese, the French, the British, everybody are hiring the local boys, the native boys at ridiculous rates, to pan the dust from the river to gather the gold in the river, just like Solomon said. And that was one of Solomon's gold mines. I, I found the other two as well, but that was a, an accident while we were finding the Garden of Eden. This so. is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I'm glad and, to hear you say and, that. And again, did, did you go out there to, to take a look around? Uh, to Tanzania? Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we took the oh, yeah. safari over there in, uh, let's see, this is 21. I think we took the safari over there in, in uh, May of 2018. And uh, we, uh, I found out how unfit I was when I was climbing those, those <laughs> mountains. But um, um, yeah, we, we went there and we found in the, in the crater floor, the Ngoro okay. crater, which is the base of the Garden of Eden. Um, in Hebrew, Garden of Eden was called Gan Eden. Okay. Uh, Gan, a G-A-N, is a fenced in area that keeps people safe from things coming in and keeps people from going out. It's a okay. gated thing and that was the only 
volcano, collapsed volcano on the planet that still had the walls up. And um, so, yeah, I went over there and I found uh, the burial uh, graves of a lot of uh, Datoga chiefs. They were allowed to be buried there, but no one lived there in the, in the garden. Mm -hmm. And uh, it covered nearly 3,000 years of, uh, you know, dwelling, you know, of, of people coming in and burying their chiefs there in the Lanai forest. So I then started looking at another structure while I was reading the, the Hebrew from the, the book of Genesis. I thought, wait a minute, God tells Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree here in the garden, but not of those two. So I'm thinking, did he take him over to a spot here in the middle of a forest and say, these two here, forget it. Or did he take them to a place that no matter where they were in the garden, they could look up and see it. So is there an elevated place? Surprise, surprise. There is a mound called Ingatati Hill, a perfectly round mound with two humps on it and a water flow coming down. And I am almost positive that's where the, the, tr the two trees, you know, good and evil and life were when Adam and Eve uh, ate the, uh, the fruit. And then she looked for, what did she look for? Fig leaves to clothe them. The whole Ingatati Hill around the edge of like a friar's haircut has fig trees growing out the side of it. And the whole valley, or, you know, whole crater is filled with fig trees of all kinds. So I talked to, when we were up there, we, we had uh, armed rangers uh, guarding us, you know, for wildlife, whatever. But we're up on top of Ingatati Hill where we thought the two trees were. I noticed an area was fenced off. And I said to the, to the guard, I said, what, what's that fenced off for? He said, well, you know, we have found in the last uh, couple of years that we've been planting grasses and foods on that area there on this Ingatati Hill and they grow marvelously fast and big and healthy. And we're trying to figure out what is special about this soil. Now, isn't that cool? That is cool. Ah, just, that is really cool. I, I'm trying to remember some of the other neat things that happened there. I mean, we, my we question is, um, because there, the, the, there's indigenous people there, did you have to get special permissions to go out there? Um, yeah, we did. We had to get cleared by the, um, um, the authority. I think it's the United UNESCO, UNESCO, I think, controls that area. It's the, um, the conservation area, the Ngoro Conservation Area. I think that's what it's called now. I can't quite see from here that hat I've got, but they gave me a, a hat and a sweater and everything there. But they, they vetted us and told us what we could film, what we couldn't, where we could go, where we couldn't. And it turned out that they didn't, they didn't stop us from anything. They said, really, go where you want to. And they had spotters up on the side of the crater 2,000 feet above us in the, in the, hidden in the, the trees. And they were watching, and we were looking for grave sites for those, you know, those chiefs I told you about. And there were two great trees that had been there for generations. I mean, these these were fig trees that grew up, and collapsed and regrew, and collapsed and regrew. You could see all the, the debris from the previous incarnations of these trees. And we knew that somewhere near the two trees, there were these rock-covered graves. And when you're down on the ground, you know, you've got weeds and stuff, and you're trying to see where it is. So the uh, the guard with us uh, got his uh, phone and he mumbled off in Swahili for a bit and uh, he went like that pointing up at the hill there he said there's a there's a spotter up there just a second he'll tell us he can tell where the graves are and so we were communicating with this guy by walkie-talkie and going in certain directions he was guiding us to the graves now why that's neat is because there are poachers trying to kill the elephants there for their tusks to kill the black rhino for the tusk so they have they have these guard posts hidden all around day and night to catch these buggers and keep them from killing off these rare, rare animals that are there. Anyway, yeah. 
That's true. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Absolutely, fa you know, to, to hear this is fascinating. The whole floor in the morning when we started there, it was it was kind of raining and drizzly, but the whole floor of the crater, which was the garden part, um, was covered in yellow African daisies. I mean, it, imagine looking at a hundred square miles of African daisies, a beautiful yellow field. And way off in the distance, you'd see a pair of elephants here doing that. And, you know, um, maybe you heard of zebra over here. And you can sit and watch all that from one spot. And you could also do it better with, up on Incantati Hill. But uh, Nice. Oh, have you just, gotten resistance? I mean, you when you started to present this out for the Garden of Eden, have you gotten resistance? Because I know there's there's other researchers that, that think it's located elsewhere. Oh, I, I haven't even bothered with them. I, they're not even bothered to talk to me. Look, I'm so positive of fitting all the clues, all the clues, not just some of them, all the clues and all the rivers. Um, and where the water came from to produce those great rivers was what is now um, Lake Victoria. And they had at least 40 active volcanoes in the area deep down, formed the heat and the pressure to blow this stuff up through the northern part there where I told you that 20 acre uh, area was. Um, and, and when I talked to the, the, the locals there at the Ngoro Conservancy, and I, and I told them about this before he even got to the place, right. they said, you know, we've heard rumors of that from the Maasai that are up there. It's not an area where people normally go to. And uh, so we talked to the Maasai and uh, we asked them what that area is called when we got up there. And they said, uh, it's called um, Komnana. And I said, okay, what's a Komnana? And so our translator talked to her again, the, the, the Maasai lady, and um, she, uh, she said, she grabbed her earring. It's a very precious, you know, metal thing that the Maasai women wear. And uh, she said, Kumnana. And he said, it's like a valuable place where the water is. And uh, so she sat down while we were talking amongst ourselves about how we we're going to film the area and stuff. And we hear the cell phone ringing. And it's her. She's got a cell phone under her robe. <laughs> I, I thought... Wow, we're not that far out of civilization. <laughs> wow. So when you mentioned that you were going to be looking for for these graves, they didn't have a problem with it then. Oh no, no. Uh, they just said be careful not to step on them and, and look for the stone piles and and you can get around them. And uh, so yeah, it's uh, once a year they allow the, the the Toga tribe to send their holy men in there to hold ceremony. The Maasai, 200 years ago from Kenya, came in and fought with the Toga who'd lived there for thousands of years and kicked them out of the the garden. And so they live, you know, about 100 miles away now, uh, the majority of the, the Toga tribe. And, and they're very close to the, uh, oh, the Kalahari uh, tribe as well uh, in location. But um, yeah, you just uh, look, the, the people that helped us there were marvelous. Uh, you know, the, the natives of the area that guard the area, control it and police it. They gave us every kind of help you could want. And of course, we've got a standing invitation to come back. But uh, in fact, I've just been talking to some of the people I met over there uh, by email here. They, they've written me. And even in the lodge where we stayed up on the edge of the Garden of Eden, what a marvelous thing to say. And we could look out over the Garden of Eden out of our room window. Um, the people there, you know, they had a choir and they sang for us and stuff. We recorded all this stuff. And some of it's not in the documentary I put up, but um, mm -hmm. just wonderful people, wonderful people. What do you say to the people that don't believe you? I don't care. <laughs> you know, you're entitled to your opinion. If you can prove me wrong, go ahead. You know, that, that's fine. But I just, you know, I just don't think that they can. Uh, I'm, I'm fact-driven, not emotion-driven. I'm fact-driven, and the facts are there. The locations, the geology, the, even the locals tell you it's there. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
all the other locations they put in China and one at the North Pole somewhere in Greenland. Right. And this is ridiculous. And, you know, it flows because if you look at what the biologists have done in the last 20 years, they've traced the mitochondrial DNA of humans through the, you know, the, the, the woman for all humans on the planet back to one spot just outside the Ngaro crater in the Oro Valley. So if all of our blood types, all of our genomes came from that spot, and that was next to the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. you know, put two and two together. There's just so many things that underwrite what we've said, uh, you know, in the discovery of this. What um, I find interesting is what you said earlier about the cows. Yeah. You know, where, where they all come from, from, from the cows in that area. Now, did they use the land bridge to, 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 to bring them across so that, that it spread? Or, or how did that happen? Do you think? Well, I, I haven't thought about it. Directly. I'm just saying, it was to speculate. Well, there were some survivors of the of the flood, believe it or not. Right. Uh, the biblical account is not really correct, but um, it, it's the way we interpret it because the, the land can be Israel, it can, it can be the planet, but they didn't have a word for the planet at the time. But uh, no, I, I found evidence of survivors in, in Egypt and in uh, well, South America and uh, you know, and uh, the Turkish legends, things like that uh, near the Black Sea. Um, so for the animals to survive is not a, a great drama. They could have been on the islands, you know, like of Malta and various other places because the Atlanteans had had establishments elsewhere off of the peninsula or off of the continent. They had it into uh, Eastern Europe mm-hmm. and uh, oh, uh, Santorini, you know, when they were excavating that, they see signs of red and, and uh, black and... Uh, white stones, exactly what Plato said. They built their, their base there in, in the Mediterranean area uh, using the same kind of stuff they built, they built their Poseidon's castle with on Damam Island, which was the island capital of the continent of Atlantis, which was Saudi Arabia. And finding that, look, I even talked to an astronaut that did the photography in 3D over the top of the Persian Gulf about an area that, that rose up in 3D right there at Damam Island. It's a perfect circle raised up the only place in the whole area they filmed mm-hmm. in 3D. And um, Plato's document said that, what he got from the Egyptians said that Poseidon built his castle there for his wife, Cato, uh, and that he caused hot water and cold water to come up from two different sources up into his castle. And if you look at the geology, which the, the oil geologist sent me, underneath Damam Island, there are two sources of water, hot and cold, coming up from you know, aquifers there, right up into the Dabam Island. So, again, one of these minor details that we found and proved. So, I, you know, people can argue if they want to, but you're looking at Happy Stanley, who's solved this great mystery. <laughs> so it's its own so reward. Have you submitted papers on this stuff, too, you know, to, to the scientific community? or you just, Nah, I didn't want just, to bother. Yeah. They're not going to listen. Uh, you know, they will probably shortly when things change on the planet. But um, yeah, look, as I say, uh, I'm tickled to death that I've been able to solve that great mystery in my own mind. Right. And, uh, you know, it, all the pieces fit. And it, it now this be a picture, a new picture of the history of man and of our planet and how other planets work and stars. It, it's been such an education doing this that, that my mind has just kind of exploded in uh, other disciplines as well. So, yeah, as I say, it's my own, it, it's its own reward to me. I, I just, I love telling it to people and uh, watching their eyes open and uh, suddenly the, the light turns on and, you yeah. know, it, it's great. This is incredible. How long did it take you to do all this, to figure all this out? Uh, let's see, from, let's see, 12, 
and then uh, six, about 28 years. Wow. And a bit of travel here and there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually, I helped Indiana, or Dr. Jones, uh, Dental Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know what he, you're saying. He, he's yeah, he, he's the guy that they modeled Indiana Jones with, you know, from. Um, in fact, um, there in the Qumran, near the Kibbutz Kalia, up at the, uh, the uh, Wadi HaKippah, where the cave was that he discovered that had the 600 pounds of the incense that was buried in, in a secret worship room that we think the priests of Zadok used when they ran from the Romans. Anyway, oh, and that was... I visited that, you know, and, and he, he gave me the map when he wasn't there to go in to, and to move a couple of, you know, feet of sand over a metal plate. And then there was a, a wooden ladder down into the lower levels and into this worship room. And they had two piles in there, black round stones and white round stones separated. And when you uh, when you take a flickering flame in there, we had torches and you look up into this small room. There are big round river rocks from the Jordan that are cemented into the roof and into the walls. And in between, it looked like diamonds sparkling. And it was gypsum coming out to form gypsum crystals. But it was such a beautiful thing. And anyway, Jones and I started to, after that, when I got back to Australia, we started working on a way to decipher some of the mystery parts of the Copper Scrolls, which tell the treasures of Solomon, that kind of stuff. And that was a ruse. We found out quickly that the, the Copper Scrolls had different depths of impressions in the the uh, the way that they punched the, the Hebrew letters into the, the scroll. And there were some Greek letters in there, three Greek letters, K-E-N, uh, Kappa, you know, Epsilon. And um, it, it's, it said in Greek to look for the raised letters. In other words, it says, uh, um, Ken is the Cohen, uh, the, the high priest, look, you know, raised. And uh, so then we looked at the, the tracings uh, and found which letters were soft which letters were sharp, and we could separate it then into what was code and what was not code. Mm -hmm. I even found a river stream and various other things looking to where we could find Solomon's treasure and stuff like that. So I've had an interesting time with all these people. It's just been miraculous. I I can't uh, can't convey that enough. I, I just loved it. It's a great time. Let's talk about Solomon's treasure because we've been talking about that off and on tonight. Now you know, we covered the Garden of Eden, we covered it, you know, we covered it last, and, and you found Solomon's treasure then is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, in the Bible, uh, the the translators, you know, for years, centuries, have looked at what he said about uh, one of the um, uh, let's see, one of the three sites had it was known for its gold, etc. At the time of Solomon, and when I found uh, you know um, the uh, Madagascar site and the port there, and traced back the the length of time it took his ships from the the the, the uh, Phoenician or the tire ships to go down and get his gold and come back with 666 talents every every year. Well, they had to rotate him. Every year was like several years. So that's one of them. That that was the one that was rich in gold, and it said that the streams, you know, it was like the dust of the streams and rocks. Well, okay, that's that's how they collected even today. And the other one of the three was up in um, Morocco. Uh, it was either Morocco or Spain. I'm pretty sure it was Morocco because. They said at that gold source, he traded to get the gold there, and they had um, uh, gorillas. They had, uh, mm, oh, um, oh, what do you call them, with the big colorful tails. Um, oh, mine's gone blank. Uh, it's a big bird. Uh, anyway, uh, they, they were animals and birds that are common to Northeast Afri Northwest Africa, but not to Spain. 
And they said, he called that, um, let's see, Tarshish was his, you know. Okay, well, if you break the word apart, tar, in the language still today there is uh, opium tar. And shisha, shisha, is what you smoke it in. So Tarshisha, Tarshish, was where he got the gold there in the uh, western part of the Mediterranean next to the Straits of Gibraltar. The other one was um, in India, up the Indus River, um, and down to the uh, middle of India along the what's now the west coast in the Karnataka division, uh, uh, region. Very rich gold there even today. Uh, they called that one, let's see, um, uh, let's see, uh, Ardeen. Oh, trying to remember the Hebrew word they used, but nobody could translate it. And it was because he called them the people of the book. The, the, the banana leaf books that they wrote the Vedas on and stuff like that. These were the people of that. And so he called them the mm, ha, blah, ding, pardes, pardes, pardes. Anyway, I've written it down somewhere. It's, I've got so much stuff rolling around up here. I keep I'm starting to forget it now. But gotcha. um, anyway, it was a hybridized Hebrew word using the Indian name for the, the books and ha meaning you know the and im meaning uh, masculine plural uh, anyway but it it i've covered that in uh, my uh, eden lectures about that word and how we found the third gold mine now i also did traces of how fast the, the types of ship that they used in solomon's time with sails and prevailing winds how fast they could go in the, uh, the ocean tracked how many days they were gone and of course this led me to madagascar and it led me to india um and India is another interesting story, by the way, the Indus River. Uh, there's another river in India called the Brahmaputra. And uh, you'll find that a lot of the high um, Indian language is Hebrew. And the Brahmaputra literally translates to the fear, reverent fear of the God, uh, of God. And if you look at um, Bereshit Bara Elohim, it's the same root as what the Hebrews use for talking about uh, the creator, you know, how, how he created stuff. And uh, I found a number of other words, things like that. But the Indus River Valley, when all the continents were together, and when Cain had left to marry his bride on the east, you know, of, of Eden, these women, I, I don't know whether they came from the uh, the hybrids that uh, the fallen ones did in Saudi Arabia or in Atlantis, but he found his bride over there and he settled there and had children. If you ask the Indians why they wear the red bindi mark on their forehead, they, they don't know where it came from. In the Bible, Cain was given the blood mark so that no one would kill him. He would have to live out his whole life. And Indu, Indus River, is a future tense of a Hebrew word, nod, meaning the men shall wander as fugitives. Now, isn't that incredible? That's just, incredible. There's so many little things like that that just form you a picture that's just hard to forget. That's just, yeah, that, yeah, that, I never would have thought about that. Mm. That's incredible. So did you have to go through a, a lot of books and everything to, to find this information? And the, oh, the yeah. Of, like you said, oh, yeah, the scrolls and the different writings and have to have to research back on it and all, and all that? Yep, as best I could. Um, some of them in the ancient scripts uh there aren't many people who can even read those scripts any longer from the middle east and you know and uh, the, the sumer region in the time of babylon things like that that's yeah, incredible babylon. 
absolutely incredible. So how, now, now that you found all this stuff, how do you feel? I mean, it must be a huge accomplishment for you. Yeah, yeah. As I said, it, it pleases me. It, it gives me completion, you know, and I'm tickled to death to be able to solve that puzzle. It's kind of like, you know, solving a puzzle, a mystery, you know, murder mystery or whatever. You put all the pieces together, you come, ah, gotcha. And uh, that that's the feeling. I mean, I'm, I'm quite pleased uh, that the Lord let me uh, find these things. That's uh, a blessing. And I shared it as well, as well as I can. You're, you're a Christian, correct? Yeah. Okay. How has this affected your Christian beliefs, or has it not? Um, it hasn't affected them. I mean, it's just uh, I'm proving the authenticity of the historical value of the right. of the word. I mean, I, you know, it's I guess I'm a what would be called an apologist or something, saying no, it's not what you think. It's real. Right. And I had a I had a near death experience in '69. I did leave my body and go out there, and I made the mistake of asking the voice behind me that was guiding me through that uh, place there in the smooth darkness out there. And he said, you know, uh, I said, look, uh, can I ask you a few questions? He said, sure. And, and I said, I was looking at the universe and galaxies. And I said, how does all this work? What makes them spin around like that? And, you know, and he showed me the era in Einstein's view of it all, the fluid mechanics of space. And I said, well, how do UFOs work? And showed me that too. The thing was at the time, when I came back into my body, it's coming, like coming back into a shoe that's too tight. And my memory started, things started falling off the side of my body. I couldn't hold on to those memories until weeks and months later, I started waking up, uh, semi-waking up at around 4.35 or 5 in the morning when 3D color dream visioning what I had lost. And it continued. I mean, I... I guess when I started the Garden of Eden thing, uh, one of those moments happened down in Australia after I'd been, you know, there 20 years or something like that. I was standing up the back of our property in our house where we had a rabbit cage and a couple of rabbits, right? It was evening, it was dark, and the, the driveway stretched out and to my left like that going down the street. And I was leaning on my shovel because I'd been, you know, cleaning their cage and stuff. Mm -hmm. I looked down to rabbits and I... I thought, I wonder if they're looking at me like we look at God, you know, they, they can't quite figure me out, but they know I supply the food and take care of them. And I was leaning on the shovel and all of a sudden, uh, everything, trees, motion, uh, stars seemed to go click, 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 click and lock together. And I was moving in with them as one entity, the moon, everything. We just went like that. And it was like I'd locked, uh, unlocked a, a lock somehow with that thought. And that was the beginning of the chase for Eden. Fascinating. The reason why I asked that question was because, you know, we talked earlier about the Catholic religion and their feelings about the, the aliens thing. Yeah. And so I was just wondering with you being a Christian, if, you know, when you started to rethink this stuff and maybe, maybe the giants or aliens came into play, if it changed your views. No, it didn't change my views. I, I just read the, the Hebrew word about in Genesis six about the, Nephilim and the fallen ones, you know, mm -hmm. with. and uh, you know that was part of the search. So it right. didn't change my opinion. In fact, when I worked for Teller's Group, there I realized that there was something going on, an undercurrent across the whole planet, not with the politicians, but with the scientists and industrialists. It was mm -hmm. a, a whole cadre of people that were dealing with these fallen ones. Now, we had made bases for them, supplied them technology, but in the uh, late seventies, we got kicked out of all the bases that we'd built for them. We had running battles with them and they kicked us out. 
And uh, then I, you know, I looked at this and, and, and the Bible and the, and the prophecies of Daniel and, you know, uh, how the Antichrist of this age would worship, sorry, not worship, but would honor a, an alien God who would give him, you know, strong weapons and stuff like right. that. And the word alien doesn't mean from another country or whatever. It means off, gone, big, weird, uh -huh. you know. And so then I started figuring out, well, Jesus said in Matthew, you know, in Matthew uh, 24 or 5, about, you know, don't listen to the imposters coming after me who say, meet me in this secret place in the desert or here and say they are the Messiah. There is going to be a great deception put upon the earth. Do not be caught. It will be such an incredible deception that even the very elect will be fooled. So I'm thinking a lot of things could change somebody's mind, you know, mm -hmm. with the mind control we've got now then and make us think that the aliens were, you know, gods or believe the lie. So why can't we be fooled? You're not here. You're taken up. And to that end, I went back to looking at the rapture things and stuff like that. And, um, there is one passage where it says, and they will be caught up in the rapture. And then Jesus says, come out of Babylon, my people, be not partakers of her sins nor of her judgments. So I translated that again. And the, the obvious thing is, he didn't say, get out of Babylon. Mm -hmm. Didn't say leave. He said, come toward him. It's in the Greek. It's the, the, the verb is saying, come to me. And it says, come up. And that, again, tells you about a liftoff of believers. And um, years ago, decades ago, I debated with um, a leader of a New Age uh, group down in Australia. And they definitely weren't Christian. Uh, let's, let's put that out there. They, they followed the dark side. And I debated the, the leader of this group from Finhorn uh, over his audience, his people, about this rapture thing. And he said, the rapture is going to be all you people that don't understand, don't have good vibes going to be taken off to be retrained in some other world, you know, later. And of course I was saying, no, that's the good guys going. So the evil recognizes the rapture is going to occur mm -hmm. and they're already making excuses as to why not, you should not be worried about it if you're still here. Just wow. what, what, you know, I, I, I marvel myself when I start telling these things about what, what I've been involved in. And, you know, you just meet every day, one day at a time and do things. And then after, 30, 40 years, you look back and you say, wow, what a path that's been. <laughs> wow, so that's has, just, yeah, that's just, it's mind-blowing. Now It's really mind-blowing. It is, and Charlotte, uh, for you and your listeners, I, I really want to stress this alien landing. is going to be like the, the TV series and the movie V. They're going to come posing as friends, and they're going to solve the world crises with the food, water, political issues, get rid of the Illuminati, if you wish, the banking stuff, get rid of all the uh, alleged bad guys, and even those little gray critters that, that have abducted people, right. and they'll say, well, get rid of them, they're from another world or whatever, and they're causing you trouble. We're going to solve your problem, and they're going to do it. And if, you, if you're if you there when this happens, it means you haven't been taken off the planet to safety, and it means you're going to have a very hard life for the next five, six, seven years until the tribulation period's over. Uh, but this deception is now being fed by uh, Dr. Greer, you know, in in the project trying to tell people about the, the aliens are real and, and they're good guys and that kind of stuff. This is Satan coming at first to give a deception to people before the real Messiah does come. And that's when the battle is going to occur down here instead of just up in the heavens. So much I wish I could tell people, but just do not, do not 
play with this new world order. Do not take the numbering. You won't be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to own anything except what you can carry in your back. But do not do it because okay. you do you do live after this life. You, you have the opportunity to have a body that's even better than this one and a place that's wonderful. And the peace is incredible there. But don't give that up, you know. Uh, if you're not fortunate enough to believe and follow Jesus now, during the tribulation, you have a chance. Yeah, and so does the house of Israel. At that time, there will be 144,000 uh, Israelites that have been chosen and marked by God who will have power. And they will go out and they will be like super Billy, Billy Grahams all over the planet. And you find one of these, then listen to them and, and be saved at that time. It doesn't mean that you will be spared, you know, beheading if they catch you, but uh, you might be able to get away with, with God's help until the end of the tribulation. Right. You're not the first person I've, I've heard that from about the uh, aliens. Right. So, I mean, that, that to me adds credence also, because you're not the only one talking about this happening. I mean, it'd be different if there was one guy out, you know, out, out saying all this, but, but, but it's not. Right. Yeah. So that, yeah. Yeah. You know, I may have met two of them back in uh, Perth years ago. They called me to come and, and have a chat with them at this house they were renting there in uh, Perth. And um, it was weird because there was a, a couple that worked in the U United Nations and they were over in Perth where they were staying for some business. I don't know what. And it was in the afternoon and I went over and they were both slender, tallish people. She was blonde. I think he was blondish. But when I walked into their home, I felt like a canary in a cage with the door open and a cat looking at me. It was a creepy feeling. And they were interrogating me on a few things about what I was doing and told me about their, their work at the United Nations. And I wondered, I mean, they had fair skin. I didn't see them in the sunlight, so I couldn't see if it was, uh, you know, like an oil slick where you see a rainbow on their skin. But uh, I can just tell you, I only felt that feeling one other time, and that was in a, a damp cave in the Qumran region where my partner and I were going in with torches and we could see big chewed bones in there. And I thought there was probably a leopard or a lion hiding in the, in the rocks there. And that was the creepy feeling I got with them. Now, whether they were real, you know, aliens or not, I don't know. Other than that, I only got my briefings from security details there in the, in the teller project. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, they were bad. They were bad. And so many countries, so many countries are, under their umbrella now our our technology that humans are developing and i'm in the middle of doing that with some former fighter pilots and things at the moment in california but whatever we develop technologically if it's going to interfere with what they're going to give to people you know show them that they are superior and all that kind of stuff we won't be able to finish it and uh, you know sell it and become a business or reveal it but uh, they, they kind of let us play along until they can come on the scene and say, ah, here's anti-gravity. Here's cures for cancer. Here's how you produce food in abundance. Here's how you produce water. Here's how you clean water. You know, I mean, here's how you walk through walls. And they're all going to think, wow, that's not from around here. But sadly, we have done these things. Maybe with their help, but we have done these things. Wow, this hour has just blown by. You are so fascinating to talk to you. Dang, it's been an hour, has it? Come. Yeah. Thank you. You wow. are so fascinating to talk to. I would love to talk to you again sometime. Okay, that's fine. Just tell me when and what you want to talk okay. about. Okay, cool. I would love to. Love to, love to. 
Is there any way people can uh, go to your website, get a hold of you? Oh, yeah. Um, our website that Holly does, you know, six days a week, updates with current news and stuff, is called standeo.com, S-T-A-N-D-E-Y-O.com. And if you want to, it's on the, the top of that page. There's a microphone, and there's a thing that says show images you click on. And that'll go over to my weekly uh, news release and stuff that I do with Doug Hagman, which tells a lot of things. And there's uh, probably about 36 slides that stay on that all the time, which lead to my book, uh, Holly's book, uh, uh, more information on, um, you know, Israel and the oil buried in the, in the uh, Megiddo Valley and stuff like that. Just the floodplains of America, you know, where, when the, the sea rises, what's going to go underwater, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and at the, at the very bottom of that homepage, uh, we have our, our bios and our contact. And you can click on our names under the contact. It'll pop up with our email. So you can you can email and talk to either one of us. We're Fantastic. in this together. Fantastic. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. I do want, I do want to get you back on again. We'll, we'll try for um, September, if that's okay with you. All right. Um, see, okay, September. Yeah, we'll work in. I've got... To two surgeries scheduled somewhere down there. I'm not sure what okay. date you're going to give me, but right. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, work we'll, we'll work with you. We'll work with you on it. All right. All right. Well, think about what you want to talk about and let okay. me know. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you so much. Now, now I'm going to have to hit the, I'm going to have to hit my my research button and look look more on your page and look at other things and, and you know that's what this is all about, right? To give us that you incentive bet. to get out and look at stuff. So you've definitely done that. All right. Well, thank you very much, and you have a good evening. And you too, Charlotte. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye, sir. All right, guys, that was great. That was I learned a lot tonight, and that's what this is all about, is just to learn stuff. StreamYard made my screen staller, so I can't tell what, what my backdrop looks like, but hopefully it's in the right spot. Anyway, we survived the night with the Internet problems. Uh, people were having trouble getting on, and it was just totally Internet problems. I got down. Um, fortunately, it was during the intro part uh, where, I, where my whole spiel is, and and we went down, and uh, I was off for about a minute and a half trying to get back on because it kept kicking me out. So I maybe it's the wildfires because there's those wildfires. There's a lot of evacuations going on. I don't know. Anyway, thank you for coming. Uh, let me lean down real quick because I was going to do this, and I didn't. Because Monday, I believe, see, I have a schedule book for all this. And Monday, I believe, let me look. Yes. Monday, we're going to do the show at 11 a.m. It's going to be a different time. And for you guys that can't see at 11 a.m., of course, um, it will be available on our YouTube page and on, on, on the Facebook page. You guys will have links anyway. And we're going to be talking to a gentleman about, if I remember right, black-eyed children. And it's something I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. And I can't wait because there's this one, there's, there's, there's only, you know, being a paranormal investigator... There's certain things that creep me out, and one of them happens to be black-eyed children. The whole, let me in, let me use the phone, feed me. You know, they show up in people's cars, that kind of thing. Creepy, creepy, creepy. So we're going to be talking to a gentleman, and he, he, he lives in England. That's why we have to go at, at 11 a.m. on Monday. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. So we're going to go out live at 11 on Monday, just to let you guys know. And uh, again, you know, this is a nonprofit group, and all this comes out of pocket to pay for all this. And, at some point, maybe I can get some better internet, too. That should make me happier. But if you could donate at uh, paypal.me. Let me make sure I got it right. Got a lot going on here. That's why, you know, cell phones are great for this stuff. There we go. Paypal.me 
forward slash California haunts. That would be great to help keep us uh, bringing in really cool guests like Stan and, and the other guests that we have coming. And uh, that would be wonderful because like I said, it all it comes all out of pocket and my group operates on donations. So that helps us buy equipment and stuff as well. But I want to thank you guys. And if you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it with five people that you don't like. Just just keep spreading the word on this show. We're growing, we're growing, we're growing. And also, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, yes, also, do visit our YouTube page and and uh, click on becoming a follower for YouTube. Because we're looking to build up our followers as well. But I thank you all for coming tonight. And again, I will see you on Monday at 11 a.m. for our show about Black Eyed Kids. Okay? I will see you and have a good weekend.